New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Why don't we have enough of it? We often say such things as, time is money, time flies, there's not enough time, time is of the essence, don't waste my time. We've invented and created time-saving devices and schemes such as computers, microwave ovens, commute lanes, ATM machines, yet we continue to feel pressed for time. The pace of life gets more frenetic, not less, and trying to keep up with the tempo can take a huge toll on our well-being. Today we'll be talking about ways we can step out of the fast lane onto the off-ramp in order to enjoy a saner and more balanced relationship with time. Our guest today is Lama Siriadas. Lama Siriadas is renowned Western Buddhist meditation teacher and scholar. He teaches and lectures around the world, conducting dozens of meditation retreats and workshops every year. He is a founder and spiritual director of Dzogchen Foundation and founder of the Western Buddhist Teachers Network. He is the author of many books, including Awakening the Buddha Within, Buddha Is as Buddha Does, and Buddhist Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we can free ourselves from the tyranny of time with our guest, Lama Siriadas. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Lama Siriadas, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Justine. It's nice to see you again and to be in the New Dimension. Oh, Buddha okay. standard time. Yes, yes. I want to go back. You In your 20s, you... Where you were in India, you were in the Himalayas, you, you were studying with masters in the mm -hmm. south of France, in the Dordogne region. And then... You, 20s and 30s. 20s and 30s. I was a slow learner. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, you spent mm -hmm. a lot of years just really focusing on, on studying with these master teachers. And then at some point, you came back to the U.S. and you suffered some culture shock, I think. And mm -hmm. that maybe is the inspiration for this book. So talk about that, if you would, please. Yes. Well, um, I was over in the East for 20 years, more or less, in Tibetan monasteries and yoga ashrams. And particularly, I did the Tibetan traditional three-year, three-month, three-day meditation retreat twice. So. Um, that's related to time in a funny way. And when I came back and I, people started to ask me to teach and 
you know, it was it was kind of the new era. It was around the era, the beginning of the personal computer revolution and the, the internet. And um, I really had a hard time catching up to it, integrating with Western life. People would ask me, oh, you were in, you know, they would say it kind of in a simple way, like, oh, you were in Tibet for 20 years or somewhere. Uh, how long did it take you to integrate? And I'd say, oh, five or 10 years. In fact, I'm still working on it. Yeah. And getting in sync with the fast pace of modern life was part of it after living in the old world, in the third world, without electricity and um, modern media and telecommunications for quite a while. But that also, that kind of simplicity of life or focusing in the spiritual life, noble silence, cloistered life, and so on, uh, helped also me to really live in the now and not always be leaning forward or awaiting to where we're going as we do so much of the time. So I really found that I had all the time in the world and that it's not time we lack, but focus, awareness, and priorities. And that's why I wrote this book, because I notice now that there is nowhere I go, and I seem to be everywhere, more or less, this year or next, <laughs> you know, and everybody says we don't have enough time. And I said, why not? Like, I mean, I understand, but there's more to it than meets the eye. Where they say people, you know, the children are taking up all my time or work takes up all my time or I don't have enough time to do all that I need to do or um, I can feel like I never catch up. But we all the same 24 hours. Where did the time go? Moreover, as you said, and you were reading from my book, really, we have all these time-saving and labor-saving modern devices more than the previous generations, more than our grandparents did, but we seem to have less time. Also, we have longer lifespans. But we seem to have less time. So what's wrong with this picture? And I think that it's an illusion that we're in a time famine era. We waste a lot of time. We Americans still watch three to six hours of TV a day, and I'm not against that. I'm just saying we find ways to waste a lot of time. And uh, it's not all quality fun time either. So I think it's important for us to take stock and to learn that awareness is, is life and is time, and time is life and awareness. And time is... A, a, a great natural resource. It's a very valuable natural resource. It's an endangered natural resource even because time is life and we squander it at our peril. Killing time is just deadening ourselves. Something you say in your book, you say awareness is the primary currency of the human condition. I wrote that down. I just thought that that was an elegant phrase. So to say, what do you mean by that? Awareness is all. Is there anything we know about or can consider that Without awareness component, we wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for awareness. I don't want to say the mind because awareness is a bigger, deeper, so consciousness or something. So awareness is the alpha and omega of spiritual life. That's the way we think of it in the East, in the Buddhist meditation and yoga traditions. And that um, life is time, life is awareness. Um, we could be aware in, in dreams and sleep. We could be aware in the afterlife, they say. You know, there's a lot more to it. We can, people are aware in a coma, even though the family around doesn't know. Right. Often the coma patient, the comatose patient, hears what's going on. Many have reported afterwards. This isn't like talk about um, the next life. We're talking about even in this life. So awareness or consciousness. See, if you say consciousness, what about the unconscious, like in a coma? Awareness is there. So that's the, the alpha and omega of the spiritual life. That's why Buddha means awakefulness or aware, awake awareness. And that's something we all have in us that we could awaken to, this awakened life, this, this, this uh, lucid knowingness, this 
this inner luminosity that is always now. And that's how we connect the eternal with the quotidian or the cosmic with the quotidian, the daily, by being in this timeless time right now in every moment. So when, you, when we talk about awareness, are you saying that having greater awareness is going to expand our sense of time? Yes. It's going to help us feel we have more time, like more time. Here's a practical example, because um, I'm a Capricorn. I'm a very practical guy, earth sign, <laughs> if you believe in that. Yeah, and I'm an, I have lots of air, so I'm way yeah, out I'm there. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. So uh, you soar. That's part of the air thing, Justin. So if we have more awareness, let's say, uh, between we have more room between stimulus and reaction. So we can choose how, when, and if to respond. So in a way, awareness slows things down without us having to slow our bodies down. We're more aware of like um, stimulus and response. We can insert the wedge of awareness and count to two or three or 10 before we react. So we don't just blindly react according to like habitual patterns and conditioning, or uh, we don't just retaliate in kind if somebody cuts us off in traffic or if they step on our toe in the elevator. If we insert the wedge of present awareness or mindfulness between stimulus and reaction, we don't have a just have a knee-jerk condition reaction. We can choose how, when, and if to respond. So in a way, it slows down the not our response time, because we're responding, we're, we're being more aware, we're catching ourselves before things catch us. So we Now, how does that we expand have quick, time, though? Because we have more time to choose how to think, how, when, and if to respond. So it feels like we have more time. So we don't feel overwhelmed by stimuli. We have more time. Like my grandmother say, Jeffrey, count to 10 before you hit back. So that means think before you act. Yeah. So you create time. We have to take the time to make time or make the time to take some time for ourselves, for our daily activities like I'm talking about. This would be an example of mindful anger management mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. between stimulus and response, choosing right. how and if and when to respond. Right. Or it could mean being in touch with the eternal instead of being caught up with the momentary, like instead of just instant gratification, grabbing what you impulsively feel like you want. You could think about your values or the bigger picture or, you know, the spiritual life, the eternal, like um, the neighbor looks beautiful, but should I really act out that impulse <laughs> right. or the whatever it is, the, the, the delicious um, bakery product looks good at the coffee shop, but should I really, you know, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. Right. So we can yeah. think about it. We can choose how to respond better. And we can also take time for our higher self or, or the life of the soul, not just the life of the desires or the body and instant gratification. Another example is that um, if we catch ourselves getting caught up in things or feeling overwhelmed, if we, we're more aware in the present moment, because it's all about present awareness, nowness, nowness awareness. When we're living in the now, then we are more fully savoring and appreciating and smelling the roses and seeing the light and the kid's eyes or the dog's eyes or our, or our neighbor. And um, every step of the way is part of the way to heaven. We don't have to wait to get there. So life is a lot richer. Let's as talk. If there's more, as if you have more quality time. Quality. That's how you have more right. time because it's more quality time. It's not just like you missed it. Oh, I missed my child's upbringing. I was busy starting my uh, internet startup right. for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about living in the now uh, 
Because it, that begs the question, and we'll, we'll just talk about part of this, and then we'll have to go to a break, but that begs the question, uh, how do we then plan for the future uh, when we're living course, in the now? That's a good question. And in fact, um, everybody always says that. And this is kind of like the inner lawyer, I call it, or the inner defendant. Objection, Your Honor, but, you know, like, if I accept, objection, if I accept things as they are, then how will we save the world and the environment? You got it. Yeah, that's fine. And now let's get to, let's discuss that. So acceptance doesn't imply complacence or indifference. Like you have to accept the diagnosis before you can treat the illness. And if you don't believe it, get a second, third, fourth, I don't care, eighth opinion. Eventually, if you want to treat an illness, first you have to accept the diagnosis. It doesn't mean accept and be paralyzed. It means accept and then you can treat. Similarly, with with what we're talking about exactly, what you asked about, about with time. When you live in the now, and this is... This is a great teaching, but we don't see this in Western Buddhist books, but this is right out of the Dzogchen tradition. And before you get to the great teaching, I don't want to cut you off. I want you to have that complete thought. I'm here with Lama Siryadas, who has spent 40 years studying Zen, Vipassana, Yoga, and Tibetan Buddhism with the great masters of Asia, including the Dalai Lama's own teachers, and has twice completed the traditional three-year meditation cloister retreat at his teacher's Tibetan monastery. Surya Das conducts retreats around the world. He's the author of many books, including The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword, Buddha Is as Buddha Does, Awakening the Buddha Within, and Buddha Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. To be in touch with the work of Lama Surya Das, you may go to the website surya.org, that's S-U-R-Y-A, Org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Lama Surya Das, and he's the author of Buddha Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. And we're talking about the now, and you, you were about ready to talk about how living in the now doesn't negate planning for the future. Yes. So um, this is a wonderful instruction I got from the non-dual or the Enlightenment now tradition, Dzogchen of Tibetan Buddhism. And this is about the introduction to the nature of mind or how it really is. This is how it is. I mean, according to what we're talking about as I see it. And of course, I hope people will question it and find out for themselves how it is or isn't, because that's what it means to be a truth seeker, not just a blind follower, but to question it and find out for yourself. 
So how it is about is like this, that when we're rem remembering is nowness awareness at work. So we're not in the past. It's a nowness activity to remember. Remembering is a nowness activity, activity at work, did you say? Yeah. Okay. When we're remembering, it's nowness awareness that's working, that's remembering. When we're planning, it's nowness awareness that's planning. We're not in the future. Because so, we're doing it right now. Yeah. Like it, we're always in the now. The problem is, Justin, that we don't know it. So that's why it's called awakening to the infinite possibilities of now, because it's all now and the infinite is in each bit of the finite. It's all here. Time and space are very relative, as Einstein showed mathematically and as the sages and mystics throughout all the ages have said in many different ways. And uh, we can experience also the macrocosm within the microcosm. And every love is new. Every childbirth is like the first one. You know, every, every love is the greatest love there ever was. And that's how it should be. Yeah. Because this is it. And that's the miracle of life. And that's the miracle of time, that it's always now. In the midst of passing time, past, present, and future, the three times, as we call it in Buddhism, there's the fourth time, or the fourth fraction, as we call it, the now that intersects and suffuses every moment of horizontal, linear, conventional passing time. The now. And so it's all nowness awareness at work. When we're remembering, when we're planning, there is no, when we're dreaming. Or when we're regretting. Yes, regretting <laughs> is in the now. Yeah. So that's why we can reparent ourselves as psychology teachers. Yeah. We can reframe our memory rather than just my miserable childhood or my perfect parents. As we grow up, we find that, oh, wow, they, they did have some problems. They just protected me from it. Right. For better or for yeah. worse. Uh -huh. Or Maybe my childhood wasn't so miserable. I'm just remembering, as I like to say, the three quarters of the glass that's empty yeah. rather than the three quarters that's full. Yeah. How's my math? <laughs> well, I think you got a, a little bit more than... Let's go back to time is relative. Let's go to the Buddhist because... Time is very relative. Don't we all know when you're in pain how long the, a minute seems to be? <laughs> it's very long. Or when you're yeah. enjoying how the time flies? Yeah. Yeah. Time is so relative, yeah. so malleable, so plastic. So in small time, it's linear and sequential, the past, the present, and the future. But in big time, in the moment, it's always now, the holy now. And the more present we are, the more we're in touch with the whole as well as the parts. The more we live in the center of the whole mandala or the wheel of time, as we call it in Tibetan. The last chapter of the book is about the spinning wheel of time, the Kala Chakra Tantra, or the secret mystic teachings of infinite time and space that's right here and now inside each of us in every moment. The Dalai Lama is always teaching us Kala Chakra. So this is a wonderful thing to, to recognize that we can be connected to the infinite in the finite. We can be in heaven here on earth, nirvana within samsara. This is the ancient timeless teachings of non-separateness or non-duality or oneness and wholeness. I think you, you quote the Bible there and Jesus says, I think it was in the Gospel of Thomas where uh, he says, the earth is spread out before you. Heaven is before yes. you. He doesn't use the word heaven, but yeah. there's something right. like that. So it means we don't have to wait till after we die to sit at the right hand of God or Buddha. And that's why we talk about ushering in the kingdom of heaven here and now. The kingdom is right here if we have the eyes to see it. That's why, again, it's awakening to it. what's here. It's not finding it somewhere else. So the the first inscription in the book, it begins at a very high level. It says one moment of total awareness is one moment of freedom and enlightenment. This is a Tibetan teaching. One moment of total awareness is nirvana, is freedom and enlightenment. 
We don't have to schlep our way to enlightenment for many aeons, lifetimes, or decades. When we awaken, how long does it take to awaken? That's different for everybody. How long does it take to fall in love? That's different for everybody. But when you say awaken, it's it's not like we we most of us. It, it's it's incremental. I mean, we might yes. I might have a moment of absolute enlightenment. Right. I mean, is I'm what sure you're, you're saying. Yes. And and maybe I don't hold it. Right. But it's not stable. It's, it's not, not eternal. But it's a moment of authentic total. Oneness, or whatever you want to call it. Right. So Bliss, that's nirvanic peace, whatever it is. That's what the Buddhists would call the nature of mind. Yeah, right. And, that's the nature, our true nature. Our mind, true nature. Right, nature and, of mind. And so, but it's it's like, how do we do our daily task then? With that in quote mind. Yes. Living once we glimpse that possibility, then we realize that it's not elsewhere, it's right here. Then that's like the pole star, the north star with which we can reference. And we know how to sail. We, we know when we're going further from it or closer to it, when we're being more um, separate from others, when we're being more greedy or, or um, mean. We, feel, we can feel like we're going further away from that totalness or that big embrace. When we're closer, when we're, we're empathic, when we're mutually reciprocal, we can feel, we can intuit, not just feel, intuit that we're being closely aligned, more closely aligned with how things actually are. Because so, that glimpse is of something that's always there, like glimpsing the sun when the clouds part, not the sun coming up. When we understand that the sun doesn't go around the earth, the earth goes around the sun, we understand the earth has turned. That's why sunrise. We understand the clouds have part and the sun's always there. So this sun-like, uncorruptible spiritual nature, Buddha nature, divine nature, whatever you want to call it, the clear light within, whatever it is, is always there. We are not awake to it. Just but, like the now is always here, but we're, we're only living in the now. You can't live anywhere else, but we don't know it. We're always leaning forward into the future, waiting for the next thing and where we're going to get to. So we're never actually okay. where we are. I think I'm getting it. So you're saying like being aware of everything around us right now, this table, this cup. Around this, and within this, us. That, yeah. And in, within right yeah. now. This is what's available to us yes. right now. And if we can be present to that. That's right. And you talk about yeah. something about presencing. Presencing as a practice, like awareing as a practice, not just awareness. Okay. Awareing, awareing as a Presencing. Word. Awareing, presencing. Cultivating presence and awareness, awareing. Right. So if we have a glimpse and we realize it, we'd say, ah, that, yes. oh, that, that felt really wondrous. Right. We, you're saying that. We can refer to that, and, and that helps us know when we're getting off into our own cloudiness right. of the right. local weather. Right, local weather, mental obscurations, uh, chitching, as Oscar Wachazo called it, <laughs> chit, 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 like having cicadas in your brain. Nam-toking, yeah. the pettons call it. It just means like um, overthinking and double-thinking, right. like double-talk in your mind, Let's as opposed to being totally present. Like, I don't know, what would be an example? Orgasm, childbirth, sneezing. Good, good ones. What? Yeah. Being yeah. The, feeling right. like you're the perfect person, the right person, the right place, the right time is yeah. a more ordinary yeah. feeling, but it's very connected to that. A That's piece the of great chocolate. perfection. It could be a piece <laughs> of chocolate. Right. It could be. So the Zen master Sasaki Roshi, who lives in LA, who's the oldest living Zen master, he's 104 or 101. I mean, who's counting at this stage? He said, I do my little research when I write these books, 
And also I happen to know him, but, you know, he said, get this, I love this. I was looking around for what Buddhist masters in modern times have said about time. Mm-hmm. And they're not that theoretical. He said, the American practice of here and now is hugging. And I was like, isn't that great? Oh, it's like when you're hugging, what else are you doing except hugging? Where's the ulterior motive in that? I mean, usually, let's idealize. Well, yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, for most, for it's the like most part. It's like a moment part, of just yeah, being there. When we're yeah. meditating, we're usually struggling with our knees or yeah. our back or with something. But hugging, where's yeah. the struggle in that? Who do, everybody knows how to do it, and almost everybody loves it. Yeah. Anyway, that I think that was a great me. reminder of natural Buddhiness, natural Buddhiness, natural meditation. That reminds me of a person you met and you write about in the book, and it was so great. You were traveling, I think, north in England, and you were on the train, on the and train. a woman right. walks in, the smiling traveler. To, uh, yeah. right. It's kind of like that. Yes. She, tell tell she, us about her. And she gave me this big smile. And I just come back from India, and I was really tuned into the gurus and the great darshans or divine experiences of being with enlightened masters and saints. And um, th- this very ordinary woman carrying some kind of shopping bag or, or you know, big purse came on and she smiled as she went by and she sat down near me and she, and she just, you know, it was just so in, beautiful and in the moment and for no reason we didn't know each other. And, and she said something like, a smile costs nothing and it's, I don't know, goes so far. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. And she said, you give it away, but you get it back. Yeah. You give you give it, it, yeah. The more you give it, the more you get back. Get it back. All. And yeah. Because you like, smile back at her. Yeah. You can't help yourself when people yeah. do that. And it was like, wow, this is like being with one of those saints in India, but she speaks English. <laughs> she just <laughs> said it, what they often infer. Yeah. Yeah. What is, Siria Das, what about uh, natural time? You talk about being in nature, and it really is yes. very helpful to us yes. to enjoy this natural time. Well, natural time is the real point. Nature is one of the levels of it. So it's easy for us to connect with that. Like I would, I've coined the term natural meditation, but like hugging, we just mentioned, a yeah. natural meditation. Um, being with your pets or kids could be a natural meditation. So Nature is a good way to start. Nature worship or nature connection was the oldest, original, primal form of spirituality in the world. Then it got more evolved into sun worship or mountain worship, and then more subtle goddess worship and all that. But nature is so sacred, we intuitively know that we're part of it already. It's not alien to us. And it's the bigger picture. I mean, any way you want to look at it, nature is the great Tao, it is the great goddess and all that. Anyway, so my thinking, it comes out of my own experience as well as from the traditions about the sacredness of the elements of earth, water, fire, air, and space. But my own feeling is that whenever I'm outside or connect with nature or sort of out of my head a little bit, then I'm transported or I feel like part of the whole. Not just like a tiny part of the whole, but an inextricable part significant, meaningful part of the whole, and the whole in me. So it, it's really like an experience of the divine, I feel. So, for example, I talk about this, how to make time, how to make space in the pace, like by turning your chores, reframing them, and making it your time. Like, I, I'm a dog person. Cats, eh. Dog person. I mean, cats are okay, but they're not dogs. That's their yeah, main problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My partner disagrees. She, yeah. She's in yeah. cats. Yeah. I'm yeah. in dogs. So walking the dog every morning and night, chore, yeah. 
especially yeah. where I live in Massachusetts, winter, sleet, and so on. So I try to, um, you know, protect myself or do it the right time there, but you can't always control that. But basically, I found out that walking the dog wasn't a chore. It became the best time of my day. Walking the dog. Let's, I know that you have a lot to say about that or more to say about that, Lama Siridas. So I, I want to hold that thought and we're going to get right back to it. I'm here with Lama Siridas. He's the author of Buddhist Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Lama Surya Das. We're talking about walking the dog and um, and natural time. And so, please tell us more about that that activity. I'm always glad to talk you. about dogs. Yes, <laughs> and we all know that dogs are God spelled backwards and all the other jokes. But what I say is, scratch a dog on the hot spot and you find the Buddha. All right. But so I might say that about cats. But anyway, so, go right yeah, in. All right. All right. So. What I found is that at first I was feeling that walking the dog twice a day was a chore, especially with the kind of weather in Massachusetts where I live half the year. But then I experienced that it was becoming the best time of the day. In the morning, I'd walk by the lake or by the schoolyard and meet all kinds of neighbors and friends and nature or see the dawn come up. And at night, the dusk or the us, stars. I'm going to interrupt. You have to give us a picture. What kind of dog is it? Everybody's okay. wondering. What A big dog, a yeah, little dog? I, I'm, into, I'm about big dogs. My niece has a little teacup chihuahua, and I, I can't really relate to it. I mean, the poor dog can't even get up or down from the, <laughs> the bed or the couch by itself. My, my best dog, my number one dog, was named Chandi, the moon goddess, and she was white, uh, Shuvash, Slovakian sheepdog. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. And so... I found that um, I could re I, I sort of reclaimed my time by reframing it as a great thing to be doing the best time of my day rather than a chore before I did what I wanted to do that day. And so in a way I gained time that way. And I think the lesson is, and that's what I've been writing about here, is not how we can get up earlier or stay up later or make more time, but how we can reclaim, reframe our own time, like the things we give our ourselves to. And take responsibility that this is my choice and I'm doing this. Like if we're driving the kids to soccer after school, rather than just resenting how many trips we have to make, remember the three quarters of the glass that's full, not the three quarters is empty, as I jokingly like to say. Remember that you decided long ago you want to spend your time with your kids while they're growing yeah. up. And uh, that's the good news. Yeah, they, and they won't be always be there. Done. And that's quality time. You you mentioned a great example in the book, uh, the UPS guy who was just getting so bored mm -hmm. of his route. And and you gave him a suggestion, and he he's became an avid bird watcher. Yes, but right, because bird watching is a great mindfulness exercise. And the more still you get, the more you see, which relates to meditation. The more you still your mind, the more you can feel and see, even to the level of mind reading. Because when your mind is totally still, you, you sense the mind movements of others. 
That's great. That's it was, and that's something anybody can develop. Mind reading at that level, it's not a superpower or an imaginary um, uh, fantasy. The more still we get, the more we see. Just like if you're looking for someone at night and you stop moving, you can see the other people moving better in the shadows, and then you can find what you're looking for. So when the heart mind is still, you can find what you're looking for better. So you're speaking. you're just you're tuning into yes. another into right. into not in an invasive way but but you're you're under- you're getting in the center of things so you're more in touch with everything rather than wobbling around in the center right kind of herky jerky uh, awkwardly looking here and there but in order to connect with natural time when my next door neighbor and this is in the book it's one of my favorite stories he's a lawyer and I used to uh, bump into him. Early in the morning when I go out and walk my dog and he would be out looking at his garden and and thinking, you know, what he should do with the garden. And that was kind of like his private time or I called it his meditation time, his gardentation time, whatever. And he said, you know, I really like to meditate, but I've been a lawyer my whole life and I have motor mind and motor mouth and I can't sit still. And I don't if I cross my legs, my knee hurts, you know, all the things we say as Westerners about these kind of new Techniques and tools like um, meditation is one from the Eastern thought traditions. And I said, why don't you just go out in the morning and look at the dawn and go out in the evening after work and look at the dusk? You don't have to sit cross-legged. Go out in your garden where you already feel like you're in God's garden. Three quarters of the work is done. And just look at the dawn, enjoy the dawn, and enjoy the dusk. Don't have your iPod when your plug's in. Leave your cell phone in the house, you know, or whatever, and just... Meditate on the dawn and the dusk. Or don't meditate. You'll try to wonder if you're doing it right. Just enjoy the dawn and enjoy the dusk. That's your meditation from now on. And I give you full credit for that. Uh, that's great. You, you that's have natural a, meditation, that, nature meditation. You have a lot of suggestions about how to meditate, and that's, that's one of them. Another one, I, I don't, it was, uh, it was about, Going, laying down on your side and going in a fetal position. Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful. I don't know if you call it a meditation, but it was a, do you remember? I do, very that, well. Describe that because it really moved me. I thought there, there are moments when that would feel really good. Yes. Well, you're a mother, I, I, I'm sure, mm-hmm. so you understand about this. Um, whether you want to talk about the inner child or getting back in the womb or putting your head down in the lap or, of God or on the breast of the goddess, it's all in there in what we're talking about. But um, where I really got this idea from, and I don't remember if it's in the book anymore because the editor cut out different, you know, some of my sure. long uh, purple prose and my long-winded stories <laughs> oh, that I love to tell. <laughs> but one of my friends actually got enlightened this way in India, Eight-Fingered Eddie, who was a famous jazz musician from Chicago, who in the 1970s, he was such a drug addict and an alcoholic, and he finally just hit bottom. And in India, when you hit bottom, I mean, there was no 12-step programs. There was no methadone clinic. Um, it was the 70s. We didn't have money. You know, There may have been psychiatrists or therapists, but we didn't go to them. We went to the gurus, and the gurus you know, chanted over us. I mean, that was about it. <laughs> or said, you know, fast. Yeah. Eddie hit bottom so bad. And he just lay down on the floor of his really cheap hotel room and wanted to die. And he just gave up. And he curled up in a fetal position for a few days. And when he, when he kind of, quote, woke up, he was a new man. He did die yeah. to himself and his ego. Yeah. Now, I'm not necessarily recommending this. I'm saying in homeopathic doses, if you do that, just curl up in a fetal position and 
however you think of it, rest in the lap, in the womb, in the lap of God or goddess, anything you want to think about it to make you feel good. What I like about You'll really find, you, you know, when you let go, when there's nowhere else to go, you will really be there in a totally different way. Eddie was never the same. After that, Eight-Fingered Eddie is famous in India as one of the Western gurus. He really woke up as a totally transcended, transcendent, marvelous person. Yeah, because there was no other shoe to drop, and there was, yeah. his, and he had worked out his his issues. I don't know how. I have no explanation for this. This is not my suggestion for how to beat drug addiction. I'm just telling you a story, but extrapolating these moments of mindfulness, a few moments of the fetal position, a breathe, relax, and smile is one of my exercises. A few moments of mindfulness throughout the day can really free us in many ways, can perforate the solidity of a claustrophobic day. Now, you just mentioned one, and, and that's throughout the book. That's a very simple meditation, but it yes. is so beautiful. And so elaborate. Breathe, relax, and smile. Uh, I was telling this the other day at the Harvard Coop bookstore in Harvard Square, because I'm uh, going around the country on book tour, and I li- happen to live there. So, And, and a very smart-looking somewhat tattooed um, young woman, I won't say girl, but to me they were all girls, spoke up. She's probably a young professor or graduate, so very smart. She said, breathe and relax, I get, Lama, but do I have to smile? <laughs> no, no, you don't have to smile. Don't smile if you don't want to smile. <laughs> it's like the objection, you know, it's always just in the lawyer. So I said, uh, but me, be, be jokey, I went further. Don't even relax. Just be, just breathe. That's enough. If you don't want to smile, if you don't want to relax, just breathe. In fact, you don't even have to breathe. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> Nothing required. But I loved it. Keep you, it simple. I loved it. I, lo- I loved it. Get down to the yeah. bottom b- bones, you know. Be free. I like the smile part. Yeah, I mean, I've me read a lot of the re- relax and how breathing, take a deep yeah. breath, take three deep breaths. It wait, can seem pretty serious. You know, it, but you yeah. had it, the smile, and that yes. one was like, all right. Maybe that'll yeah. be my contribution to Western Buddhism. Yeah, there you go. The Lightening smile. up while enlightening up, because we take it so seriously. We do. We much work the, hard much at Much too serious. And religion has suffered from that, and now spirituality and uh we could do a lot better. Enjoy, you know, joy is a big part of the spirit. The spirit is buoyant. It's ecstatic. It's not static. And it's not old. That's, again, why I'm talking about timeless time. Living in Buddhist standard time, it doesn't get old. Not like passing relative time, past, present, future. It's always now. We, ha- we can feel that freshness and wonderment of the now when we're open to it. Like, that's why we love children and pets so much, I think. Yeah. They're so in the now. They are. And we don't have to become more childish. Jesus had become more like a child than to the kingdom of heaven. Not childish, childlike. There's a difference. There's another uh, analogy that you had in the book. And I believe now, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seemed like it was when you were talking about uh, it was um, concentrated, concentration focus and mindfulness. And you compared it with, that I got right away, being a parent or being a grandparent. A grandparent. Yes. So can you talk about that? It was such a great analogy. When we're more aware, more clear, more in the moment, then we're less invested. Like grandparents care a lot, but they're less invested. Parents are much more caught up in the day-to-day and the pushing and pulling. 
So it's like the grandparent, or you know how kids like their uncle or aunt, the cool aunt, because the cool aunt doesn't have to discipline them to do their homework. Right. So the grandparent that just enjoys the show more because they've been through it all, that's the experience that we get as we get more aware and conscious over time, more objective, more clear, more detached, yet caring. And so, more of a maybe overview of some yes, sort or expansive. Right. So view. we have a bigger view of time because we've been through it all with the voice of experience. And we also realize as we get older or wiser, age is no guarantor of wisdom, but hopefully aging and saging could go together. Um, we become more aware that things don't usually matter as much as they seem to right in the moment. I remember. It doesn't matter that much if you get the right prom date or the right college I, I admission. I have to give an example, if I may. Uh, my mother, when I was thinking about um, training, uh, potty training, my, my son, uh, mother just said, Oh, you know, just relax about it. By the time he goes to college, he will not be wetting the bed. And it just was know like, that. Just know that. It was like, oh, and you just, yeah, right. as a parent, exactly. you, know, you get so right. caught up. Yeah. Will he ever walk? Yeah, will, will he ever? Yeah. Will he ever? And, and what yeah. does that say about me and the whole thing? So that's the wisdom of experience, the bigger picture. And that sooner or later, well, that will happen. Of course, we still do our best, but... As it says in the great Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, the master does her best thoroughly and lets go. And whatever happens, happens. So you do your best, but not overly invested in the outcome. So that's where we can work for world peace. Yes. We work for a better community. We, we must. We, we, we're politically involved. Yeah. Uh, but and we're not too disappointed if it hasn't yet come. Because we practice being there while getting there every step of the way. Being peaceful oh, okay. while working for world peace. Being there means being here while getting there every step of the way, not waiting for it to happen, not being a burnt out social activist or martyr because there's still more suffering in the world no matter what we do. No, being here, being there while getting there every step of the way, that's a beautiful life. By living in the now, we don't get there any later. When you're driving your car, you don't get there any faster by being where you're not, by think, thinking about where you're going too much. How about feeling the seat and being in the car with whoever you're with? or feeling your feelings, or singing a song while you're driving, mindful driving. I loved it. Mindful driving practice. I mean, yes. right right driving right practice. Driving. Right, right. right driving. You, you used <laughs> yeah. in the book. Right driving. You know, yes. there's... I'm here with Lama Siriadas, and we're talking about Buddha's Standard Time. That's the name of his book. The subtitle, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. My name is Justine Bullis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Lama Surya Das, and we're talking about time, Buddha's standard time, which is the name of his book. 
Is time actually speeding up? No. Absolutely not. But, it, but of course, it depends what you mean by time and what you mean by speeding up. And I know some people talk like that. And it may seem like things are going faster today, but that doesn't mean time is going faster. There's something that you do at the end of your book, and you show this spiral. Yes. And, the uh, great wheel of the, cosmic time. Of cosmic time and how things repeat right. themselves. But it's cyclical, not linear. That's why I think to say it's speeding up is to misunderstand. Like a cycle, like a pendulum, does it really speed up at the bottom? Or it's just, you know, faster and slower because it's, it's a, you know, like a spiral. It may seem to go fast at one point, but then it slows down because it's just, you know, it's all part of the whole, the whole okay. rhythm, the rhythm. It's got a rhythm. It's not just speeding up linearly and keep speeding up and keep speeding up until what? Until what? I don't know. Right. But, but a lot That's of people linear thinking. Like, yeah, yeah, because people, because thought is kind of linear. Just like linear time, but it's leaving out the other dimension. That's the whole, right. like a clock. So the spinning wheel of time or the river of time, the ocean of time, I think are better images. Everyone understands that ocean doesn't go anywhere, but it does. Evap it evaporates. It makes clouds. The clouds make rain. It turns into rivers, but it comes back to the ocean. But ocean is always, never leaves its bed with all of these waves and right. clouds and activities. So like time, that's big time is the ocean. And local time is the waves or the rivers or the puddles or the clouds or the rain or the snow. So what about the end time? Let's talk about, uh, a lot of people are talking about the Mayan calendar in yes. 2012. And right. All, so let's, are we in the end time? Um, yes and no. No, I don't think so in that meaning, which sounds like Armageddon from the Bible or something like, you know, the world's going to end. It. I thought it already ended at Y2K or 1984. I don't know. I must have missed it. <laughs> so now is it the year 2012 that's ending or 2011? But there is something going on. There is something going on. Evolution continues and moves on. But I don't think it's the end time. But again, Things are not what they seem to be. It's not either or. It could be both, and it could be neither also. Four-cornered logic, we call it in Buddhism. The reason I bring this up is to say it's not the end time as we think of it, so linear, like everything's going to end now. But it is the end time because this is the culmination of everything that's gone before, evolutionarily speaking. So, you know, like I or you were the culmination of our ancestors and of and all the consciousness that's been developing. So the now is the end time, but not in the sense of Armageddon. It's a sense of the golden age. This is the fruition of everything that has come to be until I mean, now. Are you saying more than any other time, or is it always the fruition? It, yes, it's the fourth time. The now is the holy now. It's always the fruition. This is the only place to be. Okay, but... It's always been the only place to be. So I don't think that the world's going to end and the, the Christians are going to rise up or, you know. And the rapture. And the rapture. Stuff, this yeah. is all a little bit of local lore and right. local time. Well, right now, it, and you mentioned this in your, in your book, that this age is the most confused, complicated, competitive, condensed period that humanity has ever experienced. Yes. Now, that's right. a quote from your book. Yes, so that's in relative time. That's yes. in relative time. It seems time. to be. But also, there's nothing keeping us from living in divine time right now, just as the, at the time of Jesus or the time of Buddha. Like um, many traditional Buddhists in the East would say, 
This is the decadent age in Tibetan. It's called the age of dregs, Nick Medu. Like the Kali Yuga, yeah. when things are kind of left over and, and materialism is rampant and war and everything and families are breaking down and so on. But what's the good news? They in say, that? yeah, I'm going to say this is very relative thinking. Many traditionalists will say the golden age was to be alive at the time of the Buddha and now it's the degenerate age. But in the non-dualist Buddhists will say this is the golden age right now and there's no golden age in the past. That that was the time to awaken and this is the time to awaken. Just like every love is new love, is love. It's not that love was better than or childbirth, having children was better than or getting enlightened was better than. So that's why Western thinkers say God is eternal. In divine time, it's always that, that the time of, of the divine. When we wake up to it, it seems to take a while. That's, that's like the march. That's the long march, to be funny, because that's right. Bao's term. Yeah. <laughs> Atheist yeah. Now's. That's the great journey. Yeah. But the journey is not from here to there. It's ba- the journey is from here to here, to really here, to 100% here. God, it's, what we seek is right here by whatever name we call it. Problem is we're usually elsewhere, distracted, dissociated, looking for God and love in all the wrong places. So what's your best advice to us in this time of great pressures yes. on, t- on our time? Uh, Simply yeah. to take a breath and take a break and do that many times during the day and find ourselves, our center, the moment, the holy now, whatever you want to call it, again and again, so that you become more steeped in it, more in touch with it, more congruent with your true nature, with nature, with your divine being, whatever you want to call it. And not to be so much in living in the future, always waiting for the work day to end, the school day to end, the weekend, the summer, always waiting and having this habit of waiting and rarely being where we are, always being where we're not. Uh-huh. So this is about, it's not a new message, it's a timeless evergreen ness- message. Be here now, as Ram Das taught in the 60s and 70s, the power of now, Eckhart Tolle, and we can find this in ancient teachings also. We mentioned Jesus, Meister Eckhart. It's throughout time that this time is the only time and the great time, not the end time. It's the end time in a funny way, but not in the way of the end of everything. So, so you're it's the saying, end of small things, and it's the including of everything. It is not the end of everything. It's the beginning of everything when we can be in it. What would happen if more of us lived in this eternal now, now? Well, we all live in it, but if more were awake to, we'll it, awake to it, we right. would have less stress and less separateness from ourselves and, and from reality. And I'm not going to tell you what reality is or push any version of that. I'm just saying, since you asked, so many illnesses, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, come from stress and friction, from things rubbing against each other like us against our expectations or uh, disappointments or us against other people, friction, conflict. But when we're totally in the now, there really is no other. There's only this moment. Let me go further. You heard it here first. Nowness is the ultimate form of therapy. When you're in the now, there's no past to condition you. You have no victim story about your childhood. You're in the now. When you're in, when you're in the now, there's no future to worry about what to have to live up to or to get to. You're in the now. 
It's always now. So it's the ultimate form of therapy. To just, but that means being totally now. But in the in the now, it's also like it's not just a mental thing. No, that that's what I mean. It, By totally it, because, in the now, the, the 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 wounds live somatically in our yes, body. So they do. So how do you just like immediately? Because we're not just our body. Ah, right. Because we're more than our body. Yeah. Even but in we our, are body. our body, we too. are a body. Like I said, even in a coma, right? There's yes. still that animating principle. Let's call it awareness. Okay. For lack of a better word, right? Or presence. A Dzogchen master calls it presence, so it doesn't sound so anthropomorphic, so human. Presence. Yeah. What's the difference between a corpse and somebody in a coma? That thing we're talking about. Tibetans call it the clear light or presence. Well, one or is awareness. breathing and one is not. Okay. So breath is part of this. And energy is a little more for, subtle form. In Tibetan yoga, we say the outer breath is the aeration and car, you know and all that. The inner breath is the prana, the subtle energy that circulates in our chakras and channels. And the secret or mystic breath is awareness or uh, cognizance itself, the lucidity, the clear light. That's like the inner secret breath that's breathing out and in from your heart radially, not coming through your nostrils. So that's always going. And so the more closer we are to that, then we are a more whole and total being. And then we can have real I-thou relations with others instead of objectifying others as I, it, what I can get from it, fear, desire, grabbing, pushing. And we can really live fully the life that we're promised, the divine life, the, the enlightened life here and now. That's nowness awareness is the panacea and practice. Lama Siriadas, thank you so much for being with us today. I would, I would like to ask you if we could go out with a, a blessing from you, if you would gift us with that. Sure. I don't really have any blessings to give, but I can transmit from my lineage the blessings of all those, you know, like the scientists stood on the shoulders of giants. We sit in the laps of giants. That's the kind of Buddhist saying that I made up. Mm-hmm. So this is an ancient, timeless Tibetan prayer and chant. Jancha Samcha Krimpoche Makie Pananke Gyuchi Yepa Nyampa Mepaya Kane Kandu Pawasho Gewadi Hinududa Chenrezi Wandrup June Drawachi Chamalupa Dei Salago Pasho May all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do. May all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace and harmony in this world and throughout all possible universes and an end to war, injustice, poverty, and oppression. And may we all together reach the level of great enlightenment, great compassion, great wisdom, and complete the spiritual journey all the way to heaven, nirvana, great peace, bliss, and deathless ease and bows homage to the Buddha in your seat. Don't overlook her. Mm. Blessings and joy to one and all. I've been here with Lama Surya Das. This is program number 3407. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973. 
thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.